Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Wendy Yao. I'm a PGY1 in anesthesia. We're here today to discuss the questions that we received through the last negotiation survey. The current contract started April 1st, 2019 and runs for three years until March 31st, 2022. And in preparation for the next round of negotiations, RDBC has five surveys over the past 12 months. The surveys were about every aspect of the collective agreement, ranging from parental leave, benefits, call, academic activities. The next and final survey will be about priorities for negotiations. We had a very good response with nearly 1,171 residents responding to these surveys. And many good questions came out of the surveys. Uh, we have chosen to do this podcast to answer those questions on the thought that there are many residents who would have the same questions. Many important issues were raised, and we will be doing a series of podcasts to explore different aspects of negotiations. And we'll be adding to the list as negotiations proceed. And at the time of this recording, uh, here are the topics that we have developed. We're just going to do a little introduction to, to negotiations and who are the players today. So we have on the line um, Dr. Harry Gray. So Dr. Gray, who are you? What is the organization of our union? So thank you very much, Wendy. Um, I uh, thank you for having me tonight. It's always a pleasure for me to do these podcasts. Um, uh, I should let you know I'm not a doctor, although people uh, mistake me for one. Um, before we begin, I want to acknowledge that I am on the traditional and ancestral lands of the Coast Salish peoples. Um, and that is the Musqueam, uh, Salatooth, and Squamish nations. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to live and work in this territory, and I acknowledge the gracious hospitality of our traditional hosts. Um, as I said, um, I'm Harry Gray. I'm the executive director of the Resident Doctors of BC, uh, and uh, have been for the last five years in the last round of negotiations. Uh, to answer your question, RDBC has a board that is elected by the membership each year. Um, and RDBC has a five-year strategic plan, which you can find on the website on the landing page. It's the third picture over on the, the top of the top banner. Um, the second priority for RDBC is to foster effective and respectful labor relations. And this speaks to the negotiation process in both the short and the long term. And what I mean by short and long term is we're going to negotiate a, a collective agreement in the coming months. Not sure when, and we'll get to that. Um, but in the long term, you've got to really position negotiations as an ongoing event. While it starts now, um, some of the topics that we're addressing in this round of negotiations, we started talking with uh, UBC and the employer group well before the last round of negotiations, so years ago. So you need to think of negotiations both in short and long term. Um, the bargaining team itself, and we'll come into that uh, in some more detail, uh, hopefully later this evening, um, the bargaining team is formed partly from members of the board. So we have one member from the board executive uh, and then one from the uh, rest of the board, as well as representatives from the general membership. Um, these representatives were selected through an application process, which was reviewed by the RDBC board. And what we were looking for when uh, reviewed those applications was to make sure that we really had a broad representation of residents, both in terms of what our level they're at, what, what year they're in, as well as a broad range of programs that they're, they're in. So back to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for that in-depth sort of overview of our organization. Now for the second question is, uh, who do we bargain with? Uh, I, I would love to tell you that this is simple, but in fact, it's, it's um, an extremely complex web that we um, negotiate in. Uh, 
Um, seems simple at first, but let, let me explain it. Um, residents are both have an employment relationship and an educational one. And as a result of that, um, on the employment side, we negotiate with the Health Employers Association. So you'll hear me call that of BC, Health Employers Association of BC, H-E-A-B-C. Uh, and you'll hear me refer to it as H-E-A-B-C because Health Employers is such a, a long name. That group is actually quite small. There are less than 100 people. And they do the bargaining on behalf of all of the health authorities. So they represent Fraser Health uh, Authority, Vancouver Coastal Health Authority, Providence Healthcare, Interior Health Authority, uh, Northern Health Authority, Vancouver Island, and Provincial Health Services, usually known as PHSA. So HEABC on the employer side represents all of those people. Um, and then you've also got UBC that, that's responsible for the educational aspect. Now, we technically only bargain with the Health Employers Association, and UBC does not actually sit at the table, but I can assure you that they are in the background making sure that whatever deal we come to is gonna work for them as well. Um, so that you know, uh, after we get out of negotiations, there's uh, quite a complex arrangement that we have where we do work with HEABC and UBC at a joint committee called the Tri-Party Committee. So the Tri-Party refers to health employers, UBC, and resident doctors at BC, those three people. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to meet and discuss issues that kind of cut across all of us. And, and we do that on a regular basis. But as I said, back to kind of where, uh, back to answer your question, um, RDBC negotiates in a very complex environment. And one of the things that makes it even more challenging is that UBC does the scheduling of work, but they're not responsible for the pay. Um, and so they're, while they're not strictly part of the contract, they actually have a fair impact as to how the contract is, is administered. So from a very practical perspective, when we sit down at the bargaining table, um, we will be sitting down with a group from our side, and then we'll be sitting down also with a group from the employer side. So from our side, just this is now kind of the people that are going to do it. From our side, um, we're going to have eight people probably on our side. That'll be five residents. Um, uh, chief negotiator, uh, our lawyer, who's a gentleman by the name of Tony Glavin. He's a partner at Kosky Glavin. A um, couple of RDBC staff and then myself. That makes up the eight people that will be there. On the employer side, never really know how many people are going to come, but it's going to be somewhere around 10 or so representatives. And they will be from the Health Employers Association of BC. Um, the health authorities, they will send a few representatives to the table. Um, usually they will be labor relations people, but they will also send probably uh, a couple of medical department representatives. So the people that they actually uh, work in various um, health authorities, helping residents, and then the Ministry of Health also comes. So back to you, Wendy. Wow, thank you. That That is complex indeed. Um, and now just we're wondering now who pays the residents after all this? Um, are the people who pay us responsible for our benefits? Um, 
again, a complicated answer, and it's and I'll tell you why it's complicated. As you are all very aware, um, residents travel on on a block system, and they travel to different health authorities, and so it's it's not unusual for a resident to work for a little while in Vancouver Coastal and then do a couple of blocks in Fraser and then maybe a couple of blocks in Northern Health and then a couple of blocks over in Vancouver Island on like that. Um, in order to get around this, continually switching employers, which if you were anyone else, what you would have to do is resign from one organization and get hired by another. It would be terribly clumsy. Um, it's not it's a bit clumsy already, but it would be even more clumsy. What they do is they have one employer, and that's Vancouver Coastal Health. So technically, the answer to your question is it's Vancouver Coastal Health that pays you, even though you're going to be working at various health authorities around the province. They're what's known as the central paymaster. In terms of the benefits, again, it's a little bit complicated. The benefits are paid by the Health Employers Association, but they um, have a, uh, an arm's length relationship with a trust called Health Benefit Trust. Health Benefit Trust contracts with an outfit called Pacific Blue Cross, which does a lot of uh, unionized benefit um, providers. And so that's how you get your uh, benefits. This is actually through Pacific Blue Cross, but they contract with a Health Benefit Trust who contracts with HEABC. So again, I'm trying to describe here um, on one level, it's quite simple. You get paid by Vancouver Coastal and your benefits come sort of from them, uh, although through uh, Pacific Blue Cross. But when you kind of peek under the covers, it's actually very complex. And it's, it's one of the things that makes my job so fascinating is that. And then don't forget that on top of all of this, you've got UBC scheduling uh, the work. Got As it. you can see, it's complicated. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I'm getting a good picture of who's who are all the major players so far. And who does RDBC bargain work our provisions with? So another great question, Wendy, thank you. Our, our contract has restrictions, as you know, on call hours and schedules. Um, and so UBC does the scheduling, but HEABC actually negotiates the call provisions. And so this is one of those areas where there's a lot of crossover, but it happens in the background. Um, in my view, uh, I must tell you that I don't think the current rules we have are working very well, um, and the amount of pay for call is too low. From a pay perspective, in the last round of negotiations, we increased the amount of money that's paid for call shifts. Uh, for example, in prior to 2019, a call was uh, an evening call overnight in hospital was $100, and an overnight out of hospital was $50. Um, that's now been increased to 120 and 60, respectively. And more importantly, as you know, we've, we've made an adjustment to the weekend rate. But in my view, pay is only part of the issue here. I'm also concerned with the actual schedules and the rules surrounding those schedules. I think we need to spend uh, some time um, creating some new ideas around call that would make things better for residents. As a result of that, and I sort of alluded to this earlier, th this has been a long-term issue for RDBC and for residents. Knowing this, we started in the last round of negotiations um, to set up a uh, call workload committee that would be looking at this, and that's got representatives from UBC and the employers and, and us. And, and the whole intent of that is to look at what's actually going on within the call, the call schedules that residents work 
and to, to look at better ways and other ways to address how residents are working. Um, that group uh, is then going to recommend changes to the contract. We've been working with that group. Frankly, COVID has kind of slowed things down a little bit, um, but that work's ongoing and, and making progress as we speak. Thank you. Um, and do we compare our collective agreement to those of other universities, or, or is this sort of more of a, an isolated process that we go through? No, absolutely. We, we compare ourselves to other collective agreements. We uh, actually continuously monitor those uh, collective agreements across Canada. Um, some of our early preparation for, uh, for negotiations includes reviewing the agreements from all of the other provinces to see where they've done better and where they've done worse, because um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not even by any, any stretch. And also how other collective agreements have addressed common issues and where we are in a cross-province comparison. Um, this is a very extensive review. We are one of eight similar organizations across Canada, although there is one exception to that. As with all other provinces, Quebec is really quite an outlier, so we really compare ourselves there's seven that we compare ourselves to, and, not, and we tend not to compare ourselves to Quebec. And that's just because they've got a, a very different system, uh, which com makes comparisons between the other seven provincial health authorities uh, very difficult. So we tend to leave Quebec out. But during um, in preparation, we absolutely uh, uh, compare ourselves to where we are at with other organizations across the, the uh, rest of Canada. Um, one of the things, just if I can point this out, one of the things that makes that comparison a little bit different is different provinces have different structures. So um, we're the only one um, that has PSEC, and, and we'll probably come to what PSEC is all about. But uh, whereas other provinces, so we've got an employer group. The employer group is, is uh, really guided by PSEC. Um, other provinces, they will, some of them, not all of them, but some of them will bargain directly with their university. So it's, uh, in, in those cases, the equivalent here would be that we would be sitting down directly with UBC and, and negotiating with UBC. So there, there is differences when you look across the, uh, um, across Canada. Um, so it, which makes comparisons not always completely straightforward because um, because the structures are somewhat different. But but to answer your question in a very simple way, absolutely, we uh, compare ourselves to other collective agreements. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Harry. And I think that's a great transition to my next question. Uh, what is PSEC and um, and who makes up uh, this um, this entity? Uh <laughs> Well, thank you for that. PSEC stands for Public Sector Employers Council, and it's absolutely vital that uh, you understand how we fit into the picture and how, what the role of PSEC is. First of all, PSEC has been around uh, for several decades now. It's a very well-established uh, process. It's really a, a kind of a made in BC process, and, and it's not been replicated very well. I mean, other provinces have it kind of in a form, but not really. Uh, in order, it, it was formed by the BC government in order to coordinate what they do as an employer. So that, that'll become clear in a second. It, a, a couple of statistics here will help you understand why the government set up PSEC uh, in order to oversee negotiations, um, their negotiations. So PSEC itself 
guides negotiations for all public sector workers. So healthcare, including long-term care and community and all the rest of that. The what's known as K to 12, which is kindergarten to grade 12. So the public school system, universities and colleges are covered by PSEC, uh, crown corporations are covered by PSEC. And then obviously government employees themselves are co covered by PSEC. When you put all of those people together, so healthcare, K to 12, government employees, colleges, um, universities, crown corporations, total number of unionized employees is about 385,000 workers. Now, we're 1,400 of those 385,000. So you can see that the government itself has a very, very large number of workers that, that work for them. Total compensation that, they, that the government has is 37 billion for all of the all of their healthcare workers. And so the government wanted PSEC as a way to kind of manage all of that. That's roughly 37 billion is roughly half of the province's overall budget. A 1% increase to their um, wages and a 1% increase is equivalent to a, a, an increased cost of about $300 million. So the government clearly wants to have a process to handle how their budget is spent. And what they do is they use PSEC to do that. And PSEC sets up what's known as mandates. And these are strictly enforced limits on wage increases. Um, if you want to go do more or learn more about this, uh, just uh, Google Public Sector Employer Council. They've got a great website. It'll take you all the way through that. Um, and it's, it's a good thing to, to know more about that because we fall underneath that mandate. Uh, and it's one of the things that you know, is a, is a real challenge for us when we get to negotiations. Thank you for that. I uh, admittedly, I, I didn't know uh, PSEC and its role in, in sort of uh, my residency journey. So I think uh, that's certainly something that I, I would be keen to read up on later on. Um, our next question is some other provinces have made significant gains over the years. Uh, why can't uh, RDBC? Well, um, I'm, I'm not sure. I quite agree with the premise. I, I think we have made significant gains over the years. Last round, we had a successful uh, round of negotiations and made many important gains. For example, government now pays for CMPA fees. CMPA fees have previously been the responsibility of each resident. I hope that we can do even better this next round of negotiations than we did last round. But I do agree that some provinces have made significant increase in specific rounds of negotiations. And many of those gains in other provinces were the result of interest arbitration. Now you need to understand where that kind of fits into the picture here. Interest arbitration is where an arbitrator, which is the labor relations equivalent to an independent judge, hears from both sides on questions about what terms should be included in contract. And then the arbitrator uh, or judge uh, writes up a binding decision that applies to the parties. So as an example, if both parties agree to an interest arbitrator to hear an aspect of the contract, such as wages, RDBC and the employer would present evidence and argument as to why the arbitrator should pick their position. So we'd obviously be saying we want you know, X amount of an increase, the employer would be saying, no, no, it's, it should be something different, usually less. And then a, a binding decision is rendered by the arbitrator and implemented that. And so other provinces have done quite well on that. It would be great if we could have that for RDBC. Let me be very clear. 
However, the key here is that both sides must agree to having an arbitrator hear the dispute or the terms of the contract. Um, while RDBC would likely agree, um, there are uh, tiny, tiny exceptions where you might not agree, but for many, we would likely agree. For many years, um, the government has had a very strict prohibition against interest arbitrators and will not agree to going to interest arbitration. So as a practical matter, interest arbitration simply isn't an option for any public sector union in BC, us included, but no public sector union is able to go to uh, um, interest arbitration in BC. And that's one of the things that sets us apart from other, uh, other provinces. Oh, I see. That's interesting. Um, I'm just going to loop back for a second to something you mentioned before about healthcare unions in the beginning. Um, who are the healthcare unions? So there are quite a few. Um, some years ago, what they did was they the government arranged uh, all of these unions into five major bargaining groups. Um, and so the bargaining groups sometimes have multiple unions in them, sometimes, such as ourselves, there's only one union. In the acute sector, there's five bargaining groups now. So one is the ambulance paramedicals. Uh, second is facilities. Um, that's mainly the hospital employees union, although there are some other unions, such as BC Government Employees Union, within that bargaining group. So the second is facilities. Third is the health science professionals. That They're also sometimes known as uh, the paramedical group, which gets confusing because the ambulance uh, drivers are also known as that. Uh, fourth one is nurses. Not there's no. I think I did this in alphabetical order. So fourth is nurses, and then the fifth is ourselves, um, resident doctors of BC. So those are the five: ambulance, paramedicals, facilities, health science professionals, nurses, and RDBC. Together, these five bargaining groups make up BC Healthcare. And just going back to my earlier comments about PSEC, when you look at the overall budget that the government spends, 51% of the province's labor budget uh, is accounted for by pay to healthcare workers. So, I mean, we're a very significant part of what the government, the government spends on uh, out of their pocket. Got it, thank you. Um... And finally, just to sort of wrap up our first session, um, what is the history of cost stipends? Would you be able to give a little overview, Harry, of how that came to be? Yeah, it, it actually has an interesting history. Um, prior to, to 2014, so now about seven years ago, two rounds of negotiations, might have been three uh, rounds of negotiations, every resident got a set amount of money. So it didn't matter how much call you worked, um, whether it was no call, frankly, or, or whether you were in a very call heavy um, uh, program and, and year, uh, you got $400 a month. That's the way it worked. Um, it, RDBC members um, at that time, so this is back just prior to 2014, I uh, thought this was unfair and needed a priority to, to make the stipend payment to be done on a per call basis. So rather than just everyone getting the same month in, month out, um, what you would, uh, what they did was they, they kind of rolled it together and came up with a new system. As noted earlier, um, uh, the negotiations at that time were um, run under one of these PSEC mandates. Uh, the PSEC mandate at that time 
um, was called um, the net zero. Um, and what that meant was there was no new funding. So RDBC was tasked by the membership to take the funds from the monthly stipends and create a per call stipend with the funds available. So you take all 1400 residents times $400 times 12 months, put it all into a big pot and then redistribute it. Um, since then, we've steadily increased the amount of the pay per call uh, and we pay very close attention to this. Um, based on member feedback that we've been getting over the past year, um, we've got more work to do. And I think that I'm looking forward to this round of negotiations and discussions that are, we're having internally already um, to uh, start to look at different and uh, hopefully better ways to be paying call. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Harry. Um, I think that that sort of is the end of our first podcast and um, hope to see you in the next podcast where we talk about the bargaining process and what that entails.